Father, again, thank you for this chance to open your word. And uh, again, we just want to thank you for those that are listening now through the website and, and the fact that they get to join with us in this study. Maybe not right here during this time, but definitely uh, in spirit as brothers and sisters. And Lord, we pray that you open their eyes as well as you open our eyes. We ask you to do that. Father, as we continue this study of Revelation chapter 19, and there's so much that's being pulled out here, it's because what's going on in this chapter, Lord, it has been written about in so many places in your word. Continue to give us insight and understanding. Lord, may we be okay with the parts that we don't fully understand, but may we put them into our heart, because you told us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 19, we're going to look at verses 17 through 21 tonight. It says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and of the, the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. Now keep that in mind. That will be important later on. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Now, we, hopefully you remember, as we've been looking at this, this chapter, Jesus is coming back, and we're coming with Him. The angels are coming, and like we talked about before last, uh, last week, I thought He came right back to the Mount of Olives. But He actually comes back to Basra first, which is over by Petra in Edom, where the nation of Israel, the remnant, has fled from the Antichrist. Remember in Matthew 24, Jesus said, When you see... The abomination that causes desolation, standing in the holy place, he said, run. Don't, if you're on the roof of your house, don't even go back into the house to get your coat. Uh, he goes, it's going to be bad for nursing mothers and people that are pregnant at that time. He said, because the persecution and the suffering that's going to occur in the nation of Israel is going to be so severe at that time, if the days weren't shortened, nobody would live through it. And so he told them to run. And so the nation of Israel is going to run at that point. And they're going to go hide out in the desert. We read earlier how the scripture showed us that Satan is going to chase them and the Antichrist is going to go after them. But they're going to be protected somehow out there in the desert. Well, then scripture, as we looked at last week, shows that Jesus himself, when he comes in the clouds and everybody's going to see him, he's going to actually descend at Basra first, where the nation is, begin gathering them and defeat his enemies from there all the way to Jerusalem in the Battle of Armageddon. And then when that's done, he's going to make his way up the Mount of Olives. So tonight, scripturally, what we're going to do is I'm just going to have you make sure you write these down so you can look at them later. But I'm going to give you a ton of scriptures and I'm going to read them to you. And we're going to take a look at all the passages that deal with, well not all, but quite a few of those that deal with Jesus' defeat of his enemies from Basra to Jerusalem. And then we're going to look at his ascent up the Mount of Olives. And when we're done with that, then we're going to try to place Ezekiel 38 and 39. So pay, pay close attention to the scriptures that we're going to be reading because they're going to become very clear, or at least clearer, as we look at a lot of different things coming up. So you just remember we read here about that the bird feast is going to be happening here at the end when Jesus comes and devours his enemies in the Antichrist. Christ being one of them. So let's start in Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 20 through 22. And this is, we're going to be taking a look now at Jesus' defeat of his enemies from Basra all the way to Jerusalem in the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is just east of Jerusalem. So Jeremiah 49, verses 20 through 22. It says, therefore, hear what the Lord has planned against Edom. Remember, that's where Basra is. What he has purposed against those who live in Teman, 
The young of the flock will be dragged away. He will completely destroy their pasture because of them. At the sound of their fall, the earth will tremble. Their cry will resound to the Red Sea. Look, an eagle will soar and swoop down, spreading its wings over Basra. In that day, the hearts of Edom's warriors will be like that, be like the heart of a woman in labor. Alright, so we see that there's a prophecy that Jesus is coming to defeat enemies in Basra. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Okay. Alright, I thought I saw a hand back there. Okay. Habakkuk. Go to Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13, uh, sorry, 3 through 15. Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verses 3 through 15. By the way, um, write these down so you have room to look at them later on. Alright. It says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Remember, we just read that in Jeremiah 49. Teman is over there again by Basra in Edom. Alright. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and He made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and with your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. And we see here a picture as he comes from Teman, from the area of Edom and Basra. Not only is he defeating his enemies, and it appears he's defeating the Antichrist here, where it says uh, in verse 13, you came out and delivered your people and the Savior anointed one, and you crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. What is happening at the exact same time that Jesus is defeating his enemies? What's happening on the earth? Earthquakes and rivers overflowing. We're talking total devastation on the earth. So keep this in mind. This is the, it's, gonna, it's chaos. God is, Jesus is not only coming and defeating His enemies, the earth is being reshaped at the same time in the chaos that's ensuing. The wrath of God. We've been reading about it coming up to that point, And here it is fully as He comes. Uh, go to uh, Isaiah 63. We'll look at verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> Who is this coming from Edom? From Basra, with his garments stained crimson. Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? 
I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I, and I stained all my clothing. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year of my redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm worked salvation for me and my own wrath sustained me. I trampled the nations in my anger and in my wrath I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. Again, he's coming. Jesus is coming. He's doing it himself. And his garments are stained with blood. And you remember in the picture we saw in Revelation 19, he's coming on the white horse. And well, how's he dressed? And he's go- No, he's wearing a garment stained with blood. Alright, now go to Isaiah 34. Verses 5 through 8. Isaiah 34, verses 5 through 8. It says, My sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. See, it descends in judgment on Edom. The people I have totally destroyed. The sword of the Lord is bathed in blood. It is covered with fat. The blood of lambs and goats, fat from the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in Edom. And the wild oxen will fall with them, the bull calves and the great bulls. Their land will be drenched in blood and the dust will be soaked with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of retribution to uphold Zion's cause. Again, very clearly, he's coming and he's going to be starting his battle in Basra and Edom. Go to Joel chapter 3. Now if you have any questions or things you want to add as we go through these scriptures, go ahead and stick your hand up or yell uh, because... I'm just going to keep showing you scripture upon scripture that deals with what we're talking about here. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and verses 9 through 13. Joel chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 3. It says, In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. Verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full, and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like Revelation chapter 14, the end of it, verses 19 and 20, where it said, swung the sickle, and the wine, the wine press was, was tread of God's wrath, and the blood flowed how, how high? Bri- high? Horses bridle for a distance of about 180 miles. Here we see that God is going to come, and He's going to be defeating from Basra all the way to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is east of Jerusalem. All right, let me show you another one. Here's a New Testament one for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. 
talking about the Antichrist being revealed after he who restrains has been taken out of the way. Verse 8 says, Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. When he comes back, folks, he is coming back in wrath to judge. Further evidence of the fact that we've already been taken to be with him. Because when he comes back, he's not coming to gather his church, as some people try to say. He's coming to bring, bring retribution to all those who have rejected him and who have been chasing after his people Israel. Isaiah chapter 14. Now this, this is a very interesting and fun passage because you're going to see a description of God's judgment on the Antichrist. And in the middle of this prophecy about God's judgment on the, against the Antichrist, you're going to see him talk about Satan a little bit and his judgment. And then it's going to go back to the Antichrist. Revelation, uh, sorry, Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11. Alright. I want you to see this. It says, On the day the Lord gives you relief from suffering and turmoil and cruel bondage, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. By the way, who's going to be the king of Babylon? The Antichrist. Remember the Antichrist headquarters we've come to realize is probably going to be from in Babylon. That's where it's going to be centered. And, uh, the, and so you will, you, in that time when God gives you relief from suffering and turmoil and cruel bondage, talking about the nation of Israel, you will take up the, this taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has come to an end. How his fury has ended. The Lord has broken the rod of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, which in anger struck down peoples with unceasing blows and in fury subdued nations with relentless aggression. All the lands are at rest and at peace. They break into singing. Even the pine trees and the cedars of Lebanon exult over you and say, Now that you have been laid low, no woodsman comes to cut us down. The grave below is all astir to meet you at your coming. It rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you, all those who were leaders in the world. It makes them rise from their throne, all those who were kings over the nations. They will all respond. They will all say to you, You also have become weak as we are. You have become like us. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave along with the noise of your hearts. Maggots are spread out beneath you and worms cover you. Here's the taunt about the Antichrist. But now, in this prophecy, look at what happens in verses 12 through 16. Sorry, 12 through 15. This is obviously not talking about the Antichrist now. This is talking about Satan. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Here in the, this taunt against the Antichrist, the king of Babylon, in the last days, we see also that God is showing His judgment against Satan. Remember, at this point, Satan is going to be kicked out of heaven. There's going to be a battle in heaven. And Michael and his archangels are going to win. Satan is going to be cast to the earth. He's going to come and dwell the Antichrist and empower him. And at the end of that time period, the Antichrist, you're going to see this uh, as we read earlier tonight in Revelation 19, the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown alive into the lake of burning sulfur. The 
Satan, we'll see next time we get together in chapter 20, is going to be bound and he's going to put in the abyss for a thousand years. Then he'll be released for a short period of time. And ultimately, he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire where the uh, uh, Antichrist and the false prophet are. But in this taunt against the Antichrist is also one against Satan himself. And then in verse 16 through uh, verse 21, it goes back to the taunt against the Antichrist. Those who see you stare at you, they ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? The man who made the world a desert, who overthrew its cities, who would not let his captives go home? All the kings of the nations lie in state, each in his own tomb. But you are cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch. You are covered with the slain, with those pierced by the sword, those who descend to the stones of the pit, like a corpse trampled underfoot. You will not join them in burial. Isn't that interesting? For you have destroyed your land and killed your people. The offspring of the wicked will never be mentioned again. Prepare a place to slaughter his sons for the sins of their forefathers. They are not to rise to inherit the land and cover the earth with their cities. Look at verse 20 again, the second half. You will not join them in burial. Remember what we read? I'm going to read it to you. You don't have to turn back there. Revelation 19, verse 20. says, The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Antichrist is not going to get a burial. He's going to be taken and thrown alive into the lake of fire. Go to Zechariah chapter 14. Yeah, no. He'll, he'll stay alive all the way straight into the pit, the Scripture says. Zechariah chapter 14. Now, we're going to look at verses 12 through 15, and then I'm going to go back to some prior verses we've looked at and try and help you out with something that might be confusing if you don't know how to kind of break down prophecy a little bit. All right, Zechariah chapter 14, though, verses 12 through 15. It says, this is the, pl the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they're still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On the, that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another and they will attack each other. Judah too will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected. Great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and the mules and the camels and the donkeys and all the animals in those camps. Now, again, keep this in mind. When Jesus comes back and He defeats His enemies, some will say, that's nuclear war. You know what? I don't know what it is. But I can tell you this much. Jesus is the one that's doing it and He's wiping them out instantly. But look closely what it says. You're going to find this important later on. We look at Ezekiel 38 and 39. Look at verse 13. On that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another, and they will attack each other. Alright? Now, let's go back to Zechariah chapter 14, though, at the beginning of the chapter. <clears throat> Look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 14. What I'm going to do is I'm going to slowly walk you through how to look at prophecy and to read it slowly, because if you try to read it all in order you're going to say, well, wait a minute, i got a problem here because it doesn't seem to work. And it won't. You remember how in Isaiah 14 we were reading, and it was obvious he was talking about the Antichrist? But then he wasn't talking about the Antichrist. There was a section in the middle of it that was talking about Satan. Then it went back to talking about the Antichrist. 
Here in Zechariah, you're going to see some of the same things. It says, A day of the Lord, chapters, chapter 14, verse 1, day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you, talking about Jerusalem, and I'll gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. When's that going to happen? During the tribulation, when the Antichrist comes in, remember, the beginning of the tribulation period, they think he's a good guy. He signs a peace treaty with them. They sign a covenant. He breaks it at the midpoint. And that's why Jesus said, when you see that midpoint happen, get out. Well, not everybody's going to get out. Some will go into exile, but some are going to stay. The women are going to be attacked. Look at verse 3. It says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. We've been reading about that. Now, verse 4 in my translation says, on that day, which is a bad translation of the word. If your translation says, in that day, it's a better translation of that word. Okay? So it's more of a picture of in that day, not on that day. Okay? That's part of the thing that's thrown us off a little bit. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from the east to the west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. All right? Now you need to stop. Because if you read verse 5 to, seem, to think it's going to happen with it, it's going to give you problems. And you'll also find that it's not saying that that's next. Okay, So all, all we understand now is there's going to be this day when this attack on Jerusalem happens and the city is going to be divided and they're going to be attacking the women. Half the city is going to go into exile. The rest is going to stay there. And the Lord is going to come and fight against His enemies, right? And He fights on the day of battle. And in that day, some point, He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. We'll get to that in a little bit. And when He does, there's going to be a split on the Mount of Olives. And it's going to go from east to west and it's going to make a big valley. Now verse 5 says, You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. Now if you think that that valley that has just been formed is the one He's talking about them fleeing, because it sure would read like that, doesn't it? That actually isn't what's going on. What he's talking about here in verse 5 of them fleeing is actually prior to his coming back. And I can show you why. Read it what it says. It says, You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will ascend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all his holy ones with him. How can they flee, and then he'll come, if he's already come, and split the mountain, and then they flee? So verse 5 must be happening prior to verse 4. Do you see it? But if you try to read the prophecy in order, it's going to give you problems. That's why when you study prophecy, you have to read it slowly. And you have to say, what is really being said here? And this is part of the reason why a lot of people start putting their timetables together that later on are proven not correct is because they think, well, this is going to happen and that's going to happen and so on. You have to study prophecy slowly, verse by verse. Break it down. What's being said? So it's obvious that their fleeing is going to happen before he comes back. So this stepping on the Mount of Olives is after they fleed, not prior to them fleeing. All right? So I just want you to see that, just so you understand the importance of reading it slowly and breaking it down. All right? One last passage about his defeat from Basra to Jerusalem, and then we're going to get to the Mount of Olive assembly in the time we have left. We'll get into Ezekiel 38 and 39. Go to Revelation chapter 14, verses 19 and 20. Passage we've looked at before, but now I want us to read it again because of all that we've just read. It's going to make so much more sense. 
In Revelation chapter 14, look at verses 19 and 20. It says, The angel swung his sickle on the earth and gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridle for a distance of 1,600 stadia. Now, keep what we just read here. Remember how we've read about how Jesus comes back and he comes to Basra and his robe is dipped in blood and he's treading the winepress, it said, all by himself. He's treading the winepress of God's wrath. We saw in Revelation chapter 19. Look, go back to chapter 19 of Revelation and look at verse um, 15. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He does what? He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh is his name written, King, Kings, and Lord of Lords. And then the angel comes and cries out to all the birds, come to this great feast because there's going to be so much blood and there's going to be so much carnage and so many people killed during this time by Jesus when he comes back, the enemies that have fought against him. So it's obvious that we're looking at here a lot of prophecies that are all talking about the very end of the tribulation when Jesus himself comes back. There's going to be turmoil on the earth. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be waves. There's going to be mountains crumbling. There's going to be uh, islands disappearing. Jesus is defeating people with the sword out of His mouth. It's also going to happen so fast and all at once that His enemies are going to have their eyes rot in their sockets. and It's going to be like a nuclear attack as, they just come, as He comes across and at them. Do you think Jesus needs a nuclear weapon to defeat His enemies? The glory of God itself could be enough. We don't know how He's going to do it, but we know that He's going to come and it's going to be a quick and massive attack. Oh, and by the way, what's been going on all during this time as well, according to Revelation? Who's been gathering in the Valley of Armageddon, which is on the other side of Jerusalem? Who's been gathering? All of Israel's enemies. All the nations of the earth are gathering into that valley, into that plain. Keep that in mind. That's important. They're gathering in that plain to fight against Jerusalem and against Jesus. And He comes from Basra and He wipes them all out. The Antichrist and the false prophet are taken alive and thrown into the lake of fire. And then Jesus will ascend after defeating all of His enemies. He'll ascend up the Mount of Olives with a victory march. And I want to show you some of those scriptures. So there's, there's a lot less of those. But uh, we just read Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. You don't need those again. How he's going to step on the Mount of Olives. It's going to be split in two. All right. Reve- Revelation chapter 16, verses 17 through 21. Look at Revelation 16, verses 17 through 21. <clears throat> it says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake, the great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds that fell on men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. We saw that this is happening right before the return of Jesus Christ. And when He comes, He's going to finish all of this that you've been reading about, all this earthquakes and the devastation. It's going to continue as He defeats His enemies. And then He's going to step on the Mount of Olives, and it's going to be split. And the Bible says a great river is going to flow, and healing is going to start to come. But we'll get to that down the road. 
Go to Matthew 24, verse 29. Yeah, Matthew 24, just one verse, verse 29. It says, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then we'll, we want to keep reading, we can. Verse 30, at the time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now, and it says here that He's going to send His angels with a loud trumpet and gather the elect. This is the, the, the believing remnant that have lived through this time period. They're going to be gathered and be gathered back to Jerusalem. And He's going to take, take those. Now, it's very interesting. You know how we've always read in the Bible how it says one will be taken, another will be left. Another will be taken, another will be left. And we've kind of looked at that as being a, a rapture kind of a picture. Actually, there are some that think it's more of a picture of... Because remember in the time of Noah, who was taken? The ones spared or the ones judged? The ones judged were taken. The ones left were spared. There's a chance that that one taken, another left could be a gathering at the end where the ones judged are going to be judged... The one taken and the ones spared are the ones left. Don't know. We don't know. All we know is this. The Scripture says that at the end of those days, through the mess of all that's been going on on the earth, Jesus Himself is going to come and everybody's going to see Him and He's going to defeat His enemies. And Joel chapter 3 shows us about His ascent to the Mount of Olives. Joel chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Look at verses 14 through 17. It says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. Where did we hear that? Well, Jesus just said it, didn't He? Matthew 24. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for His people a stronghold for the people of Israel. Now folks, I've got to be straight up honest with you. I can't fully put this into timetable. And this seal and then that trumpet and all that kind of stuff. I can tell you this much. The Bible is real clear that when this time comes, Jesus comes back and His enemies are defeated and He sets up His kingdom. He'll be gathering the, the, the remnant of Israel that has been spared through this time period. And He's going to be setting up His kingdom on the earth. And we're going to come with Him. And it's going to be an amazing thing. But I'll tell you one thing. I don't want to, I don't want to poo-poo what happened in, in Haiti or Chile. Please don't hear me wrong. But that's nothing. That's nothing compared to what's coming. It's nothing compared to what's coming. And as much as we should care and pray and meet those needs... We need to be at the same time telling people the Bible says it's going to get even worse than that. And if you don't know Jesus and you're alive during those days, you're going to wish for a Haiti earthquake. Alright? Now, after reading these scriptures, I want to suggest to you, please do not hear that I'm teaching that this is the way it is. Because I don't know. I just want to suggest to you the possibility that Ezekiel 38 and 39, the Gog and Magog battle, typically known as the Gog and Magog battle, may be referring to the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. 
all the way until Jesus' return. I want you to stick with me on this. I'm going to read to you chapters 38 and 39 now. I want you to follow along with me of Ezekiel. And with all that we've just read about what, has, what is going on at the end of the tribulation period, I want you to read with me now and follow along and tell me if there isn't a small possibility that maybe the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle that we've been sometimes being taught that it was going to happen prior to the tribulation, isn't there a possibility that it could be also referring to or instead referring to a battle at the second half? Again, I don't know. I am not at a place where I can say, this is where I put it. I'm just saying, let's read this and see what happens. It says, A word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, now we've got to stop. We're reading prophecy. We've got to go slowly. Is Gog a nation or a person? It's a person, isn't it? It's the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, which actually a lot of prophecy people think Tubal is Turkey. It says, prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen fully armed, and a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. Persia, Cush, and Put will be with them, all with shields and helmets, also Gomer with all its troops, and Beth Togomar, Togarma with the, from the far north with all of its troops, the many nations with you. Get ready, be prepared, you and all the hordes gathered about you, and take command of them. After many days, you will be called to arms. In future years, you will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They had been brought out from the nations, and now all of them live in safety. You and all your troops and the many nations with you will go up, advancing like a storm, and you will be like a cloud covering the land." This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On that day, thoughts will come into your mind, and you will devise an evil scheme. You will say, I will invade a land of unwalled villages. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls and without gates and bars. Now, before we go any further, does that describe Israel right now? No, they're definitely, they're building walls. And on top of that, are they unsuspecting? They're passing out gas masks. But what if it's a possibility of that the peace treaty with the Antichrist has been signed and they think it's safe because their enemies have said, we're going to make a covenant with you. What if just prior to the Antichrist stepping into the temple, he heads up a coalition of enemies to come when they're unsuspecting? There's a possibility this could be referring to the second half of the tribulation period. Verse 12, I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against the resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nations, rich in livestock and goods, living at the center of the land. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and her, all her villages will say to you, Have you come to plunder? Have you gathered your hordes to loot, to carry off silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods and to seize much plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, that it, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. 
In that day, when my people Israel are living in safety, will you not take notice of it? You will come from your place in the far north, you and many nations with you, all of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. You will advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land. In days to come, O Gog, I will bring you against my land, so that the nations may know me when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Are you not the one I spoke of in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel? At that time they prophesied for years that I would bring you against them. Who's the one that the prophets kept prophesying is going to come against Israel? The Antichrist. Go ahead. Uh, my verse 8 says, In the latter years. And my verse 16 says, uh, In the last days. This is a picture of the very end. It's obvious that he, the, the prophecy is using words that describe the very end. Keep reading. Verse 18. This is what will happen in that day when Gog attacks the land of Israel. My hot anger will be aroused, declares the Sovereign Lord. In my zeal and fiery wrath, I declare that at that time there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, and every creature that moves along the ground, and all the people on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. The mountains will be overturned. The cliffs will crumble, and every wall will fall to the ground. That sounds a lot like that big massive earthquake at the end. I will summon a sword against Gog and all my mountains, declares the Sovereign Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother. Wait a minute. Didn't we read that the prophecy of the end time battle, he was going to cause them to fight against each other? Everyone's sword will be against his brother. I will execute judgment upon him with the plague and blood. Bloodshed, I will pour down torrents of rain, hailstones, and burning sulfur. Again, isn't that the last bowl? On him and on his troops and on the many nations with him. And so I will show my greatness and my holiness, and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Now, I'll be honest with you. My, my first thought is, okay, if this happens prior to the tribulation, as some people say, they're not going to acknowledge that He's Lord at that point because they're going to sign a peace treaty with Israel. I mean, with the Antichrist. Let's keep reading. Son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I'm against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and drag you along. I will bring you from the far north and send you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and make your arrows drop from your right hand. On the mountains of Israel you will fall, and you and all your troops and the nations with you. I will give you as food to all kinds of carrion, birds, and to the wild animals. You will fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the Sovereign Lord. You will fall where? In that open field. And we talk about the valley again. Out there. I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in safety in the coastlands, and they will know that I'm the Lord. I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will no longer let my holy name be profaned, and the nations will know that I, the Lord, am the Holy One in Israel. It is coming. It will surely take place, declares the Sovereign Lord. This is the day I have spoken of. 
Then those who live in the towns of Israel will go out and use the weapons for fuel and burn them up, the small and the large shields, the bows and the arrows, the war clubs and the spears. For seven years they will use them for fuel. Now hang on for one second. Some people have said, well, this means it can't be at the end because they need seven years to burn the fuel. Who says they can't burn it in the millennium? There's nothing that says they can't use it for fuel in the millennium. Just says for seven years they're going to use it for fuel. But because of that seven year term, people have just assumed you've got to make it prior to the seven years of the tribulation or at the very beginning of the tribulation because they need seven years. But if you make it at the beginning of the tribulation, I can guarantee you during the last part of the tribulation, ain't nobody burning anything for fuel. They're running for their lives. I think there's no problem with them burning weapons in the, in the millennium. And they will plunder those who plundered them and loot those who looted them, declares the Sovereign Lord. On that day I will give Gog a burial place in Israel, in the valley of those who travel eastward. Those, uh, the sea, it will block the way of travelers because Gog and all his hordes will be buried there. So it will be called the Valley of Haman Gog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them and all in the day I'm glorified will be a memorable day for them, declares the Sovereign Lord. Men will be regularly employed to cleanse the land. Some will go throughout the land, and in addition to them, others will bury those that remain on the ground. At the end of the seven months, they will begin their search. As they go through the land and one of them sees a human bone, he'll set up a marker beside it until the grave diggers have buried it inside the valley of Haman Gog. Also, a town called Haman, Hamona, will be there, and so they will cleanse the land. Son of man, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Call out to every kind of bird and all the wild animals. Assemble and come together from all around to to the sacrifice I'm preparing for you, the great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel. There you will eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, as if they were rams and lambs, goats and bulls, and all them fattened animals from Bashan. Again, does that not sound familiar? Isn't that what Revelation 19 says almost word for word? And didn't we read earlier about in another prophecy in the Old Testament about them eating the fat of these animals from Bashan? Yes, ma'am. You're wrestling with whether or not the the burial thing there. Very good. I'm going to come back to that. Keep that question. That's a very good question. It's something I've looked at as well. We're going to come back to that. I'm glad you saw that. That's awesome. Alright, look at verse 19. At the sacrifice I'm preparing for you, you will eat fat till you are glutted and drink blood till you are drunk. At my table you will eat your fill of horses and riders, mighty men and soldiers of every kind, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will display my glory among the nations and all the nations will see the punishment I inflict and the hand I lay upon them. From that day forward, the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. And the nations will know that the people of Israel went into exile for their sin because they were unfaithful to me. So I hid my face from them and handed them over to their enemies and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their offenses and I hid my face from them. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will now bring Jacob back from captivity and will have compassion on all the people of Israel and I will be zealous for my holy name. They will forget their shame and all the unfaithfulness they showed toward me when they lived in safety in their land with no one to make them afraid. When I have brought them back from the nations and have gathered them from the countries of their enemies, I will show myself holy through them in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. For though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Sovereign Lord. 
I have to be honest with you. I don't know. I am not at the point where I can say, I believe it is. But I'm telling you, with all the prophecies we've been reading and putting together, it sure looks like that the possibility of the Gog-Magog battle is actually a campaign. We keep seeing it as one battle. It could be a campaign of the Antichrist and his armies as they, when the nation of Israel is living in safety and unsuspecting, possibly because of the, of the Antichrist's covenant and peace treaty they've signed, they come to attack at that midpoint. And from that point on is their campaign against Israel, and ultimately they will be defeated in the mountains of Israel by God Himself. I just want to say to you, don't be one of those ones that says, I've got it all figured out. We don't. This much we do know, there's going to be a battle of Gog and Magog, and Jesus is going to win. When's it going to happen? Prior to? At the ha- I don't know. You don't know. If anybody says they do, don't listen to that kind of teaching. But if they say, hey, here's what I believe and here's why, and these are some other beliefs and they might be right too, that's some good teaching. But Nicole brought up a really good question. And this is a question that I had too when I was studying this. Look at the verses 11. And following on that day, I will give Gog a place, a burial place in Israel, in the valley of those who travel eastward. It looks like he's getting a burial. So if Gog is this Antichrist guy that we've been seeing is going to be thrown alive in the lake of, of burning sulfur and so on. Yes? Antichrist takes on human form. He takes on human form. But he's definitely spirit. Well, here, here's a possibility. Is there a chance that maybe the lake of burning sulfur could be seen during the millennium? There's a possibility it could be seen during the whole millennium. I mean, we know full well in Jesus' story of Luke 16 and Lazarus and the rich man that they could see each other. There's a possibility that maybe this, because you keep reading, it says, it says, uh, I will give God a burial place in the valley of those who travel east toward the sea. It will block the way of travelers because Gog and all his hordes will be buried there. So it will be called the Valley of Haman Gog. Who knows what this valley is actually going to be? Who knows if it's not actually a possibility of the pit? Visibly seen. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I look at, uh, at, at three battles. Three battles. Go ahead. What do you mean by three battles? Okay. The battle of Gog and Magog that we're reading about in Ezekiel. Do you mean battle or campaign? Alright, because see, I, I, when I say Battle of Gog and Magog, I'm talking the campaign that may last three and a half years. Okay. Okay. And, and then we read in, uh, in 19, where Christ comes back on the White Horse. Right. And we're saying that it's a possibility that those two battles are the same. Is that what you're saying? I'm, I'm saying yes. It's a possibility. Possibility. Yes. Okay. And then, at the end of the millennium... I know. We're going to get to that. He talks about, he, like Satan I say, yes. Ultimately, into the lake of fire. Right now, here's a possibility of, of that. It's obvious that this passage is definitely not talking about the millennial after the millennium battle. It's obvious that that's not this battle. This is obviously before the millennium. There's no question. What, what, for, let me make sure to catch you guys are all up to speed here. Go to Revelation chapter 20. We're, we're not going to get there till next week, or maybe not even. Not next week. I keep saying next week. Next time we get together, so we won't meet next week. But look, look at Revelation chapter 20. Verse 7. 
When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They march across the bed of the earth and summon the camps of God's people. There are those that think that that Gog and Magog reference is kind of like the term Waterloo. Alright, when you hear the term Waterloo, what do you think of? Napoleon's demise, correct? And many times since then, people have said, here goes another, here comes another Waterloo, right? Using a reference to a prior occurrence, again. And there are those that think this is kind of like a reference to the prior Gog and Magog battle, which was very obvious that God won it, and here, here he goes again. You know, Satan going to his next Gog and Magog kind of a deal. I don't know. But it's obvious that, it, that the Gog and Magog battle we read about in verses 30, chapters 38 and 39 is not the one referred to in uh, chapter 20, verses 7 and following. It's definitely not that one. But we'll see. We'll see. Like I told you, if any, excuse me, anybody says, I got it all figured out. And all them other teachers are wrong. Because this is how it is. Don't listen to that person. They probably are well-intentioned, but they're not mature enough for you to be staking a whole lot of their teaching. Alright? Taking it to heart. I'm willing to look you in the eye and say, I have been studying this stuff intensely for 20 years. I'm starting to understand more, but I also understand there's a lot I don't. All I suggest to you is this. Just because your favorite writer has it prior to the tribulation doesn't mean that that's how it's going to be. We don't know. And there sure seems to be a lot of evidence that might make you think it could be referring to what happens at the end of the tribulation. But please don't say, Jim thinks it's going to be. I don't know. I just know this. It's valuable for us to take it to heart. Because as you're reading the scriptures, how many times tonight did you go, that kind of goes with, that kind of goes with, that's the whole point. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to know this book. Take it to heart. And if we happen to be alive, which I really don't believe we will be, when any of this stuff happens, you will be able to go, that goes with, that's what, take it to heart. Don't try to figure it all out. In a few weeks, Tony Kessinger will come and he'll have a whole chart and we can mock him for uh, having a chart. But uh, actually, I'm bringing him in because it's going to be helpful. But... uh, uh, I only say those things to see if he listens. All right. Any questions before we wrap it up? I promise you, when we get back together, we will be in chapter 20. We will be in chapter 20 when we get back together. Chris, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the reasons why it's going to become one of the key battlegrounds is because the nation of Israel, the remnant, has fled to that area. And God's protecting them somehow. We saw in Revelation how, how the Satan went after him, and water came out of his mouth and the ground swallowed it up to protect them. Somehow, supernaturally, God will be protecting them in that area. And the Antichrist and his armies will come to defeat them there. And so that's... that's so. It, it could be the friendliness that draws them there. I don't know. For some reason, they're going to have a valley opened up by God for them to run through, and God will show them where to go. 
Fred, I saw your hand earlier. Yeah, you know, still bothers me when you mentioned this about the fuel and mm -hmm. the Why not? Why can't we burn in the millennium? Um, because in the millennium, there's going to still be earth as we know it. There's going to be jobs. There's going to be work. We're going to be physical people. We're, we're, Jesus is going to be physically ruling and reigning. If you're picturing the new heaven and the new earth where Jesus is the light and the, all that stuff, that's not till the new heaven and the new earth. During the millennium, it doesn't work like that. During the millennium, we're, we're still, we still got life pretty much as we know it, just with a lot less sin kind of a deal. People die during the millennium. The Bible talks about it. We'll get to that. We're going to be doing a full study when we get to chapter 20. And then we're going to break down in 20 for a while too and really take a look at the millennium. So um, don't confuse the millennium with the new heaven and the new earth. They're separate. Christ reigned during the millennium? Jesus reigns during the millennium, yes. But we're going to reign with Him all over the globe. The 12 apostles are going to rule in Jerusalem over the 12 tribes of Israel. I can show you scripturally how David himself is going to reign during the millennium from Jerusalem. A lot of times people have been reading all those prophecies that talk about David, King David ruling and reigning again, and they've been trying to make it Jesus. I can show you it's not. And so I believe David himself is going to come back, live on the earth during the millennium, and reign as well. There's a lot of, like I say, when we get to that section, it's going to be a real interesting study. It's pretty cool. But we'll get to that when we get to chapter 20. Yes, sir? Okay, if you're asking me to totally put this in order, I can't. All right, go ahead. Jesus comes out of Basra. In that area, and, for sure. I believe that's, you know, that's, that's after. Uh, the problem I have is uh, uh, Jesus calls the armies to Megiddo. Mm -hmm. Okay? But in Joel, he calls the armies, or he calls the nations to the Valley of Decision, which is Jehoshaphat. Below, below Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat, Valley of Jehoshaphat. Right. It's actually just east of Jerusalem. Correct. But go ahead. Well, actually, the two, I think there are a couple of things. Um, one is, there's, I think there's going to be a battle there at east of Jerusalem, all the way from Basra, which is southeast of Jerusalem, all the way to Jehoshaphat, which continues into Megiddo. Because it's at Megiddo, where Armageddon, where the Antichrist is finally defeated. I think there's going to be armies, remember, surrounding Israel, which is east of Jerusalem. Right. All, so as he comes from Basra, he's defeating armies all the way from the east of Jerusalem all the way into the northeast of Jerusalem. Sorry, northwest of Jerusalem, which is where Megiddo and all that is. I think ultimately the battle continues right on into what we call the Battle of Armageddon, uh, where the Antichrist will be ultimately defeated there. I, mean, you know, I, I kind of pictured it as him coming from Basra to uh, Jehoshaphat. The It could be. We don't know. And I'll be honest with you, we've been, me and the guys that do the research with me, we've been wrestling to try to find out, does he go to Basra, Valley Valley Decision, Megiddo, then up to Mount of Olives, does he go Basra, Valley Decision, Mount of Olives, then to Armageddon? We don't know. All we can tell you is this, it's going to happen all right around the same time, and ultimately Jesus ends up on the Mount of Olives, and it all starts to get good. <laughs> I don't know anymore. I don't know anymore. But I'll tell you one thing. My head hurts as it is. Thank God we're not supposed to fully understand prophecy. You're to study it. Get it in your heart. And let God take it from there.
Thanks. We'll see you all later.